Amen. How are we doing, church? Doing all right? Looking good. Are you ready for this? We got a whole lot of feedback from last week, mostly positive, and so uh, that's really good. Uh, if, if, if you missed last week, just buckle up. Hopefully, you'll catch it uh, online or whatever, but grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to end up in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. We are in week two of this series, Act Like Men. Our, our, our theme is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, and here's what it says. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And like I explained to you last week, the, <clears throat> the way we're looking at this is that act like men could be like the hub or the center of this wheel. And then the imperatives around it are how you are to act like men. And again, very quickly, uh, we've got to get rid of just these kind of macho caricatures. That is not what we are talking about. Now, I kind of happen to be that caricature. Like I said, I love camo and plaid and boots and hunting and all of that stuff. But that is not what makes you a man. What makes you a man is what God determines biblical manhood to be because he is the creator and he gets to determine what it is. And so this week, we're going to spend our time on this word, be watchful, be watchful. Different translations of the Bible translate that command differently, and it, it, it's a military command is what it is. Some of the other translations say this. They say, watch out, stand on watch, stay alert, be on guard. The idea here is, is that it's a command like a commander would give a soldier to pay attention and to watch out because there is an enemy. And as I begin to study that, I've just got to tell you where my mind went. I begin to think about what it means to be a man is the idea of like this soldier on a wall protecting something. And the moment I began to think about a soldier on a wall, this image came to mind. I hope you could see it. It's a courtroom. Colonel Jessup is sitting in the witness stand and he says something like this, son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you could possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places, you don't talk about it parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a, I don't care what you think or you're entitled to. And then you know what happens next. Did you order the code red? You're darn right I did. All right, now if you're trying to find that in the Bible, it's not there, all right? But that's where my mind goes. Anybody with me on that, okay? That's where my mind goes. You want me on that wall, you need me on that wall. This is the part of what the command is. That if you are a man, whether you're single or married, young, old, family, no family, whatever, if you are a man, it is a very, very high calling that you were given strength, not just physical, but you were given strength that's not for you, it is for someone else. 
And the reality is that you and I have a, an enemy. And if the enemy can take out the defender, then by definition, there's somebody left defenseless. And so you have an enemy, men, that want to take you out. And if he takes you out, I'm telling you, everyone suffers. The ripple effect of a man that goes down is, is indescribable, indescribable. In fact, there's a whole lot of women and children in this place right now. And you carry with you a great deal of pain because there was supposed to be a man on a wall defending and protecting. And he left his post or he did not pay attention. And here's how I know. Last week I said, uh, ladies, hang in here with us because this series is Act Like Men and how does it apply to you? And I said, you could kind of take the next five weeks off. And then I received a, a, an email from a woman that was here last week. Here's what she said. She said, I just really felt compelled to thank you. I went to your church for the first time today. If you're back today, then guess what? It's our church. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. If you're here and I'm here, we're here. So from now on, it's our church, all right? But she, she didn't know yet, all right? Because it was the first time. <laughs> she said, so I went to your church for the first time today. I sat in the back of the chairs and cried almost the whole service. Even though the series was about how to be a man, it struck so close to home that I knew God was talking to me through your church. See, I just recently got out of an emotionally abusive relationship. There's one. The birth father who walked out on my mother when he found out she was pregnant, he recently reconnected with me. There's two. My adoptive father was great, but I still don't know what kind of man I should be looking for. I don't know how to guard my heart. It was funny to me that the pastor said that this series may not apply to the women, but it most absolutely does. If you're single, these are the characteristics you should be looking for in a man. If you're a mother, this is what you should be teaching your daughters to look for and your sons to act like. After attending your church, by the way, she hadn't been to church for five years, my heart was overwhelmed with God's grace, God's forgiveness, and God's love, and I know it was all God's doing, but I truly needed to hear this message. I learned that I should seek a relationship with Christ first and foremost, and he will guard my heart, and I also learned the traits of the man I should give my heart to for whenever God brings him into my life. I cannot thank your church enough. I think I've finally found a home after all these years of wondering. And I would say to the person that wrote it, welcome home. <clears throat> you see, a part of the reason that she went through those years and years of pain is because some man did not do what God had created him to do on that wall. And so, what does it mean? What does it mean to, to be watchful? You see, the enemy, we do have an enemy. We have a spiritual enemy. His mission statement is in our scriptures. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the mission statement of the enemy. That's, he, that's what he wants to do to you. He is not your friend. He's not a fun guy to hang out with. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. His native tongue is lying, and his occupation is that he's a thief and he wants to take us out and especially, man, if he can take husband and dad and the man out, then the ripple effect is crazy. I mean, you look through the scriptures and every time the enemy was trying to thwart a great move of God, what did he do? He tried to take a generation of men out. Remember the Exodus? Remember all the little boys two and under? Or how about when Jesus showed up 
You remember what happened? The same thing, all the little boys, two and under. And I'm telling you, maybe, maybe, not so, um, maybe not so obvious to everybody, but it seems to me right now that the enemy is prowling around and he is trying to take out a generation of young men so that they can't rise up and be the men that God has called us to be. And so what are we watching out for? I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. And in this text... Peter, he's talking first of all to the elders of the church and then he's gonna talk to the young men of the church and he gives some warning and here are the warnings that he gives and I think in this text, what we will see is what we need to be on the lookout for and how our enemy works so that we can be ready. So he says this, I'm gonna read uh, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11 then we'll come back and unpack it all. Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. When the Bible says amen, it's not just because they couldn't think of a way to end the sentence, okay? It means so shall it be. And I think what happens here is that the text itself lays out the reality that we have an enemy that wants to devour us, that wants to kill us and rip us to shreds, not just tempt us and take us off course, but every one of those temptations, every one of those pathways, they have a destination and it ends with you just devoured. You ever seen a lion eat something? I mean, it it is grotesque. They have a big cat zoo thing down towards St. Augustine. I don't know if you've ever been to it. My brother is a a police officer with the St. John's County Sheriff's Department. And sometimes when there's roadkill, he'll go and scoop it up. Now, my family used to take it to the house. That's just true. (laughs) You can laugh, but whatever. All right, it's always truck season. That's what my daddy would say. All right, it's always truck season. And so... uh, That's true. But he'll, he'll scoop it up and he'll take it down there and they've got this lion there named Mufasa. They chunk this dough over into the lion cage. All right. And that thing, my brother's telling me about it. He says that lion comes walking out there and leans down and doesn't take his eye off the people and grabs that little dough by the head. <laughs> Just like an M&M. <laughs> yeah, you don't jack around with a lion, Right? You don't jack around with a lion. And so we have a spiritual enemy that Peter calls, he's like a lion. And he is trying to, he's trying to take us out. Now here's, in the text, I see, I see at least four tactics, four ways that men typically are taken out by this enemy. And then I'm gonna throw a fifth one in there for free. The fifth one's a little bit of a stretch, but there's no way I can talk about uh, the enemy taking out men without talking about this one. The first one is this, number one, if you're taking notes, verse six, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. One is pride, pride. One of the key ways that the enemy tries to take us down 
is pride. Pride is simply when we think too highly of ourselves. That's what pride is. Pride is when we compare ourselves to other people, not to God, but when we compare ourselves to other people and we think we're better than them. Pride is that feeling you have when you walk into Walmart real late at night. You too? It's just true, isn't it? Man, you want to, this is for free, okay? I'm not going to tell everybody this, but listen. You want to you 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 um, existentially experience the grace of God and John 3, 16, for God so loved the world? Go to Walmart at 11 p.m. on a Christmas Eve and be like, he loves all these people? Yeah, that's a big love. All right, all right, you get me off topic. All right, listen. Pride's when we compare ourselves to other people and we just think we're better. Pride is when we think the world is about me. Why me, God? And you don't really think it's his story, you think it's my story and you want God to get in line with your will and your story and not the other way around. Here's the, here's the thing about pride though. Almost no one admits it. I've been in ministry for 22 or three years. I never, ever, ever have one person come and sit down in my office and say, well, pastor, let me tell you what my problem is. I'm just prideful. Nobody. It's so easy to see in everybody else. It's so hard to see in yourself. And yet, C.S. Lewis says that it is the greatest of all sins. The reality is this. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, opposes the proud. If you want God to be on the other side of you, preventing you from doing whatever it is that you've got your mindset, then be proud. And guess what? God will oppose you. Here's the options for, for prideful people. Um, you'll either be humble or humbled. That's it. Every knee will bow. So here's your options. You'll bow or you'll bow. Those are your two options. You can either decide to bow your knee to Jesus now or when he returns, boom, you're on your face. Yeah, I, I, some people will say, I'll tell you what, man, when I see Jesus, I'm gonna ask him. You ain't asking Jack. You're gonna lay on your face like a dead man. Like, oh man, that's what's happening. One of the key questions I get from people that have known me for a long time is how do you keep from being so prideful with everything that's going on at 1122? It's a legit question, I understand. Here's what it says. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. This is the most humbling thing I do all week. This is it, man. Because when you grab onto something that is exponentially bigger than anything that you could do, and you watch the hand of God move over and over and over. And you know, I mean, you know you could do nothing to, to have those kind of results. And you know it's the mighty hand of God. But the reality is we all struggle with pride. So let me ask you this. Are you prideful? Here's some questions to ask yourself. Do you seek credit? Like when you're at work, and they're talking about a division that did a great job and they start listing names. Are you just waiting on your name to be called? Do you have a problem complimenting others? Especially when you know you were responsible for the good job. Here's one. Do you require a thank you? And, and are you put off when you don't get one? Do you know why I put that one? That's me. That is me. I've told our staff, my love language is gratitude. You people should be thankful. <laughs> Straight up. 
And I kind of thought gratitude was a good deal. And then as the Lord, here's the problem. See, I had three days in the woods this week because of the encounter retreat. And so I didn't just write the sermon. The Lord let the sermon start preaching to me. That's dangerous. We could be here a minute, okay? And I began to realize, uh-oh, uh-oh, that might be a pride issue. Maybe I need people to say thank you to me as if I had something to do with it. Do you require a thank you and then you're a little put off when you don't get one? How about this? If I scrolled through your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, what would it show me? Is is it about how great you are or about how great God is? And I thought, uh uh-oh. Mine's just kind of all about me and my wonderful life, right? Do you always have to be right? I'm telling you, man, I'm just, hopefully this is helpful for you. It's like therapy for me, okay? Because I just have to be right, always, always. Very defensive. And honestly, I know more Bible verses than you, so bring it on. I can be right in every situation. And I think the reality is confession time, I just have a pride problem. So what do you do? If it's, if it's one of the enemy's number one tactics, what do you do? Well, he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Let me tell you one of the key ways to fight pride in your life, worship. You're doing it right now. The fact that you are here under the teaching of the word of God and when you come before the Lord and we, listen, it's not Christian karaoke. That singing part of what we do is not just Christian karaoke because we can't figure out how to fill up the hour and a half. I could preach the whole hour and a half, no problem. Part of what it is is so that on a continual basis, the people of God would gather together and we would magnify the name of God so that two things would simultaneously happen. One is we would grow increasingly aware of our utter depravity and understand that we cannot depend on ourselves. And simultaneous to that, our understanding of the magnificent and omnipotence of God would go bigger and bigger and bigger. And in that light, ourselves, we would grow smaller and smaller and smaller. And we would say, praise the one, the only one that is worthy of our worship. So men, you know why some of you don't worship? Because you're too prideful. You're too prideful to open your mouth to the one that opened his mouth and created everything. You're too prideful to lift your hand to the one that stretched his out and died for you because you think you're tough. You ain't tougher than me. And I stay down here on this front row and just sing my face off to the one that laid his life down for me. One of the ways to humble yourself is to worship the almighty God. You see, in the book of Job, towards the end, Job puts God on trial. God, why did you let this happen to me? And then God replies to Job. You should read it for yourself. The last like five chapters of the book of Job. God replies to Job, Job, Dress yourself like a man and get ready for this. And then he begins to interrogate Job. He starts off with this. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? (laughs) How do you answer that? You're right. When I was deciding how many planets there would be, I can't remember. I remember looking around heaven, but you weren't there, Job. Tell me where you were. And and, and do you know where I keep the snow? Uh, Do you know uh, where it's going to lightning next? Uh, And he just puts Job in his place. Basically what he's saying is, Job, there's parts of your back that you can't even scratch. Who are you to even come and question me, the almighty sovereign God? I mean, really, you think you got got things under control? You can't even lick your own elbow. (laughs) And every time I say that, half of you are like. (laughs) Somebody's going, what'd you learn in church? Can't lick your elbow, that's what I learned. (laughs) So here's the thing about humility. Humility is not a feeling. Humility is a posture. 
You may feel great about yourself. You may feel terrible about yourself, whatever. Humility is a posture. It's like exercise. It's not a feeling. It's a thing you do. So you posture yourself before the Lord. You humble yourself. That means you bow your knee to who? To the mighty hand of God. And there's a so that there. There's a so that. Because you know what God might do? God might exalt you. And then if he does, you don't walk in this false humility either. You do not apologize for the Lord's anointing. You just walk in it. So the first thing you better watch out for is pride. And how do you humble yourself? You bend that knee. You worship the almighty God. You don't compare you to everybody else. You compare you to the almighty God, and you watch what happens. You will be humbled. The second thing that the enemy uses is verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The second thing that the enemy uses is worry and anxiety. There's pride and there's worry and anxiety. Now, let me tell you how this most often plays out in the lives of men. Oftentimes, we worry about work and money. At least that's what we say. And the reality is, see, God gives us this incredible gift, a work to enjoy. The command is to subdue and cultivate that we would be called in as co-creators to this incredible thing that he's given us called the earth to rearrange the raw materials of this earth for human flourishing. And then the enemy comes and twists it and it becomes an idol in our life. And we begin to find our identity in our activity. So, when you ask people, so what do you do for a living? We assume they mean our vocation, correct? That could be an idol in our life. And I know it would be a Jesus juke to be like, I worship. You know, you're like, okay, that's not what I meant. But, but it is true, it, it becomes such an idol in my life. And then here, here's, what, here's what we do as men. Then we hide behind this. It sounds great, it's just a lie. Yeah, I'm just trying to provide for my family. So the reason I work so hard to make so much money to buy a bunch of stuff to give to people I love that they really don't need, I'm just trying to provide for my family. When's the last time you asked your family what they wanted? Because I can promise you this, man. They want you more than the stuff that you can provide. That's just true. I, I don't know any kids that are real proud or, or that care at all about the house they live in. You know, And so what we try to do is, is we tack our idolatry and blame it on the people that we love the most. And listen, guess what this means for me? Guess what? So far in this little rundown of my own sermon, I'm batting over two right now. Or the other thing we do is we, is we worry or we have this anxiety about what people think about us because above anything else, man, let me tell you about, ladies, this is about men. We don't even necessarily care if we're liked. We just wanna be impressive. That really is it, man. Hated or loved, it don't matter, just not ignored. And so we, we drive stuff and work ourselves to the bone to impress people, to impress people that we don't even know. So let me ask you, fellas, are you worried? Are you anxious? I mean, ask yourself this, all right? What are you worried about? What are you worried about? What can you really do about it? You see, because a lot of times we get all anxious about things that we can't even do anything about. And do you think that you have to control the situation? This is when it goes from like legitimate concern. I mean, I'm concerned for the welfare of my family and, you know, for my wife. I'm concerned about those things and have to step up and do my part for sure. But, but where it slips into idolatry and when the enemy begins to get a foothold in there is when you think you have to control the situation. So I would ask it this way. Are you putting your faith in your circumstances or in your sovereign savior? 
Are you putting your faith in your circumstances, in your job, in your health, in your relationships? Is that where your faith is? Or are you putting your faith in your sovereign Savior? If he stripped all of those things away, would he still be enough? I'm not saying it wouldn't hurt like crazy, but would he still be enough? Do you see how the enemy can take us out with worry and anxiety? So what do you do? What do you do? Well, he says right here, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, I lead a disciple group of men this morning and they help me. They help me a lot. All right, and what I do is uh, I, I pre-go through the sermon. It's great for me. I hope they learn stuff too. And I learned something. See, here's the thing about discipleship. Ever since Jesus handed over discipleship to people discipling people, it's always a two-way street. So you might think you're the discipler, but I don't know about you. As the discipler, I get more discipleship out of it than the, I think the guys that I'm discipling. And so there's a guy in my group named Luke, and he unpacked what this cast all your cares on him is all about. And he said, um, you know, I, I, what the Bible means when it says cast, it means like throw. Like you would take your cares and you would chunk them. But I think a lot of us cast our cares on Jesus like you cast a rod and reel. You're like, here we go. I'm going to cast it on him. Why are you still holding on to it? Oh, because that's what I do. Oh, and watch this. I'm going to reel it on back in. <laughs> Isn't that just true? That's what we do after every service almost. At the end of every service, I, almost every service, I say, hey, listen, uh, we respond in three ways. And one of the ways is you come down here and you bend your knee to Jesus and you cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And you know what a lot of us do? Because we, like, we keep worry and anxiety like a pet. Like we name it and it makes a mess of our life, but we just have to keep it with us, Okay. And we come down here to the altar and we kneel down and we cast our care upon him, but we hold on to the end of it. And by the end of our prayer, man, we just reel that thing in it and we just take it right there with us. And so what the command here is from Peter, he says, he, he means like, nah, you sling that thing on Jesus and then you let go. And I'm gonna tell you, I don't know about the worries and the cares in your life. Mine tend to find me and crawl back up in my brain while I was asleep, okay? So this is an ongoing, everyday sort of thing that you continuously, that's why in the ESV it says casting. This is not a one-time event. One of uh, the first senior pastor that I worked for, he says this, he said, if you pray, why worry? And if you worry, why pray? Worry is like the anti-prayer. So what do you do about it? If the enemy is taking you out because you're getting so worried that it paralyzes you, what do you do about it? You cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Even if you, think, even if you think your deal is not that big a deal, don't ever compare your pain or your anxiety to anybody else's. You see, he's a good dad and he loves you. And if it's important to you, it's important to him. If you've got a kid, you know what that means, right? When your kid brings home a little art project from our new gen, let's just be honest. It's crap. <laughs> if it's your kids, it is. If it's my kids, it's art. It is going on the wall. I've been to your houses. Your kids' stuff is terrible. My kids' stuff's amazing. Why? Because it's my kid. So you bring all your junk to Jesus, and it matters to him because you matter to him. You cast all your cares upon him. The third thing that the enemy uses is this. Verse eight, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Laziness and abdication of responsibility is a tool of the enemy. 
Laziness and abdication of responsibility. Be sober-minded. This means stay alert. He says, be watchful. Literally, it means wake up. Some of you are literally and figuratively just kind of sitting on the couch, drinking beer and eating potato chips, and the whole world is passing you by. The enemy is coming after your family, and some of you literally need to sober. You don't even have to do the minded part. You just got to be sober. And honestly, if you are in an addiction program and you are here, you are in the right place, and, I, and you, you are doing these things. You are take, you're not being lazy about your life. You are taking the steps that you need to take so that you can be reestablished on the wall and that you can be watchful. Praise God, brother, for being here. Some of you gotta get off your blessed assurance and get in the game. Are you lazy? Are you lazy? Can I tell you a part of the American dream that is 100% at odds with the message of the gospel? A pursuit of a comfortable life? If you wanna pursue a comfortable life, let me tell you, do not follow Jesus. Don't. Do you know what it means to be a follower? This is not a trick question. You follow somebody. That's what a follower is. You follow them. Where they go, you go. Where did Jesus go? To the cross. And on the way, it wasn't, it wasn't like a bait and switch either. All along the way, he told them, hey, you wanna follow me? Uh-huh. You know when they wanted to follow him after he'd like feed a bunch of people with a little, you know, little Happy Meal and stuff? They're like, that's awesome, we want to follow him. And then he said, oh, you wanna follow me? Take up your cross, die to yourself. Does that sound like the comfortable life? No, the comfortable life is at odds with the gospel. Be very, very careful that you do not get comfortable, comfortable. Because he has called us to lay down our lives. Are you lazy? Are you pursuing the comfortable life? Are you just sitting on the couch and, and, and the whole world's passing you by? No Christian man should be lazy or bored. No Christian man should be lazy or bored. If you are bored in your life and Jesus is your Lord, I've got some news for you. There's this thing called the Great Commission. We're supposed to take the gospel into the, into the four corners of the earth. So here, let me fill up the rest of your calendar. Take the gospel to the hardest person that you think it'll take for God to be saved, for God to save that person. You think of who's, who's the least likely to be saved. Okay, well, I've got a mission for you. Get after them, share the gospel with them. If that's not enough, I can show you an unreached people group on a map. Move there. You won't be bored. The other one, the other one, that's the great commission and there's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You need something to do? Find the, find the most unjust thing in our city and solve it. Spend the rest of your life doing those two things. And guess what? You won't be lazy. You'll wake up every single day with something to do. You know what I think one of our biggest problems is? is just the society. We're so comfortable. We have so much time to self-examine ourselves that we can pick out every little problem with every little eye wrinkle and this and that and the other. Oh my, get over yourself. Guess what? You're getting old. It's gonna happen. You know who notices the most? The people that look at themselves all the time. You know who doesn't notice? People that are getting after, getting after the mission of God. Because you ain't got time. You don't have time for that kind of stuff. So here's some questions. Are you lazy? Do you need to wake up? Ask yourself this, what are the distractions in your life? 
Are you more consumed with your hobby than your calling? And your calling is your family and your mission. I mean, really, are you more concerned about your fantasy football team than you are your actual, the people in your home? It's crazy. Are you more concerned with your golf game than the mission of God? I'll call me. Are you more concerned with your hunting season than you are this season in life that God has given you? Do not be lazy, man. Do not be lazy. Another thing we get lazy with, what, what are you avoiding? What hard conversation, what hard decision, what hard action do you know God is calling you to? And you're just avoiding it, honestly, because you're just lazy. God would say, be sober-minded and be watchful. Wake up and get after it. What do you do about it? Something, anything, take a step. Just start with one step. Wake up, get your mind right, and do something. Here's some things. Fellas, pursue your wife. Have you gotten lazy with her? Pursue your wife. And here's why I tell you this, husband. I know you got it in you. I know you do. And here's how I know. Because you got her to marry you. And from this vantage point, brothers, for most of you, that's a miracle. Because <laughs> I know it wasn't your good looks. I'm telling you, generally speaking, we've outpunted our coverage something fierce. That's just true. The Bible says the prayers of a righteous man avail as much. Praise God, okay? Praise God. Do you know how you got her to say yes to you? Because you had your game, man. You can't, be, you can't be a lazy boyfriend. You know what you call that? Single. That's what you call that. Man, you pursued and you asked and you called and you watched the dumbest movies. You, you paid money. You're like, I just watched The Notebook again. What is wrong with me? But when you talk, you're like, it was so good. Oh, my, it's so, that one part, baby. If you got crazy, I'd be crazy with you forever, baby. All right? I mean, you would. Eat more frozen yogurt. You don't even like it. Just, oh, gosh. You go out. I mean, seriously, you study her. Then what happens? Just get lazy. Get in the game. Pursue your wife. Pursue the hearts of your children. I'm convinced there's a lot more parents, they're parents, it seems to me, that you seem to be more concerned about where they're going to go to college than where they're going to spend eternity. Stings a little, doesn't it? Spend more time on homework than the Word of God. You know, get you a Jesus storybook Bible. Just start reading it. The crazy thing is you'll learn a lot about the Scriptures too. Be, don't be lazy. And it's so easy, man. Let me just tell you, I fail in this so many times. I fail in this so many times. Here's why, because it's hard. It's hard. Gretchen and I laugh about your perception of me and my family. It is comical. I think you think when we lay down, we don't even hit all the way to the bed. We just sort of hover in some kind of angelic flotation. <laughs> I've had people send me these emails. Well, in my house, it's difficult. I know, I, here's what, you, you think what we do, you think I'm gonna get home today and be like, kids gather around at his family devotion time. <laughs> and Gretchen just comes in singing a hymn, blessed be the tie that binds. My kids sit down with their own Bible. Oh, Father, please teach us the word of God. <laughs> Thank you, children. I have uh, four points in my sermon and they just take notes. It's a train wreck, man. In my house, okay? It is a train wreck, all right? 10-year-old, 6-year-old, they're all 
you know, fussing and fighting. And JP, every single time, he's like, do the one about the dragon at the end. We're not going to do the dragon in Revelation, okay? That's the only part in the Bible. And then Rega's like, a dragon, I'm scared. She runs to her room like, get back in here. We're trying to study the Bible. And I look over and I'm like, Gretchen, would you get off of Pinterest and get in the family devotion? <laughs> and I got to apologize about anger and the sun going down and I don't get to sleep and it's a train wreck. So a lot of times we just punt. It's as simple as this. Probably the only reason I got this right because I knew I had to preach this and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Last night, get home from the men's retreat. Gretchen's about to go to bed early. She didn't feel super awesome. She's like, oh, man, my throat's kind of scratchy. Will you just pray for me? You know, what I typically, you know what I normally do? Here's what I would normally do. Yeah, baby. And then she goes to bed and, and sports center, I'd be like, Gretchen. He knows the very words before I speak them. You know, I got verses for him. I thought, man, I'm just being lazy. So I hit pause. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. God's sovereign goodness has given us Paul's live TV. Just <laughs> put my hands on her head and pray for her. Husbands, are you lazy? Just pray for your wives out loud. Oh, pastor, I'm not a good prayer. Biggest word I know is delicatessen. Don't know how to work it into the prayer. <laughs> she don't care, man. Hold her hand. Baby, how can I pray for you? She says stuff. You got to pay attention. Be alert, sober-minded. <laughs> then here's what you do. You bow your head, close your eyes. You say, dear God, and you just say that stuff. Then you say, amen. And when you get done, she's going to be crying. <laughs> And you're going to think, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong, bro. Nothing's wrong. You're, you're sober-minded. You're being watchful. What are you avoiding? Get in the game. Pray for your wife. Just chase after the hearts of your children. That's the third thing, laziness and abdication. Fourth thing, verse next. I don't know what it is. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The fourth thing the enemies uses is this, isolation. Isolation. Men are expert isolationists. You know why? Because we think, I got this. Guess what, bro? You ain't got this. You were created in the image of God. God said, it is not good that man be alone. That didn't just mean Adam needed a date. God in and of himself as a relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Godhead is a plurality. And if you think you can do this on your own, you are not imaging God whatsoever. Think about this. The ultimate form of human punishment, like in prisons, like we're prisoners of war is this, isolation. Isolation is the number one form of human punishment. You've seen enough like animal shows to know this. Who does the lion attack? It's always that one stray out on the edge. I mean, you flip through and you get to National Geographic and you see a big old pile of impala and everybody's all right. And then there's that one, like, hey, what's up? I'm just gonna come over here. You know what? It's over for that dude. It is over. He can't get, the, the lion can't get to the middle. By the way, let me tell you this, the church has utterly failed at this. 
The reason there's a herd is so you get the weak ones, the ones that are hurt, the ones that are stumbling, the ones that have fallen, the ones that are bleeding, the ones that need the help, they go to the middle. And the strong ones get around the edge to prevent the lion from taking out the weak ones. You know what usually the church does? Not this church, not on my watch. Usually a church will be like, oh, you have a, you have a problem. You have a struggle. This is your label. This is, this is where you stumble and fall. Well, then you need to move out there to the edge. And they make them ripe for the picking for the lion that's prowling around to devour them. Listen to me, I'm telling you, if you struggle with something, welcome to the herd. Get in the middle. Come on, get in the middle. If you're, a season, if you're in a season of strength in your walk with Jesus, then you go over and you grab one that's kind of out there on the edge, that's struggling, that don't think they fit in, and you assure them this is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus, and you say, get in here in the middle. That's what this place is about. You understand that? The lion always picks off the stray. So let me ask you, man, are you isolated? So would you be like, man, oh, I'm not isolated. I have 600 friends on Facebook. <laughs> Newsflash. Those are not your friends. Let me ask you this. Who's praying for you specifically right now? Specifically, who's praying for you? Don't be like your mama because you lie to her. Who have you shared with this week, today? Hey, I need you to pray for me about who are you praying for specifically? Because they shared with you, here's an area in my life that I need you to pray for me about. Who really knows how you're doing and what you're doing? If your life blows up, who are you gonna call? Listen, fellas, a band of brothers is like a retirement account. If you wait till you need it to build it, it's over, it's too late. You've got to build that thing now before you feel like you need it because when you do, you don't believe me? I don't care, believe Jesus. In this life, you will face troubles of many kinds. So when those troubles come, who do you call? And don't hand me this, well, I just call on Jesus. Jesus said, don't just call on me, call on a band of brothers around you. It's called the body of Christ. That's why we have access to one another. Who do you have in your life? And if you're like, okay, well, not many people. I'm kind of isolated. What do I do? You join a disciple group. You go to the Connect Center or you look on the back of your bulletin and we have these disciple group experiences and you just show up to one of those. And if you're like, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know the Bible. Well, that's like, I'm out of shape. I can't go to the gym. Are you really being serious? Go, get plugged in. You'll be amazed at how few people know the Bible. There'll be one guy, he knows it's super good. He's self-righteous. He's the prideful one. He referred to number one. Get plugged in. Get plugged in. The last thing, the fifth one, this is for free. <clears throat> it says this, verse nine, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, it does not say this explicitly, but I know this. I know that the enemy uses all kinds of stuff. He uses pride, and he uses worry, and he uses laziness, and he uses isolation, and the last one is he uses lust. Lust. How many men have blown up their entire lives and their families and their kids and all of that because of lust. You see, it says, resist him, firm in your faith. 
That is true. We are to resist the enemy, except in one area. Next week, when we, when we talk about stand firm, stand firm in the faith, we're gonna talk about spiritual warfare and how you put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm against the enemy and his evil schemes, except there's this one little area of your life that happens to be like the biggest area of your thought life that you're not supposed to stand firm against the enemy. You're supposed to run, Forrest, run. That's in the area of lust. The Bible commands us in many places, 1 Corinthians chapter six is the clearest one. It says, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. That means run away. Most of the time we flirt with it. I mean, think about this. I've used this example a million times, but that means if on your way to the car, the devil himself is sitting in your car, then you tell him to get out of your car. That's Jesus' car. He does not belong in there. You put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and feet fitted in the gospel of readiness of peace and the shield of faith and the word of God, and you kick some devil tail. Do you think? Get out of my car. And then on the way home, if your ex-girlfriend is in your driveway, you keep on going. Flee sexual immorality. And the question is, are you fleeing or flirting? In my opinion, currently, this is the granddaddy of them all. I mean, here's what happens to men, friends of mine, pastor churches, and they'll, they'll, they, they flirt and they don't flee. And then we go, what were they thinking? They weren't thinking. Hey, I'll tell you, don't think. Flee. You start thinking, you're in trouble. Flee. Run away. On the men's retreat, we're doing Bible study in the book of Genesis, and I ask a question to one of the guys. Why do you think God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? And his response was this. This is brilliant, man. He taught me something new. He said, it's easy to do what's right if right is the only option. It's easy to do what's right if right is the only option. Here's what fleeing is in regards to sexual immorality. Make your wife the only option. Just so I said, that's, that's why I flee. That's why I flee. That's why I have rules about my rules, about my rules, about my rules. I do not want to be in a place where my wife is one of the options. I am going to pre-decide my world that she is always my only option. I am going to stay so far away from this one. I'm talking about, I am a Pharisee on this one, folks. For my relationship with Jesus, for his name, for my wife, for my children, and for you. Listen, the enemy might take me out, okay? I might kill a guy at a Jags game one day. That could happen, all right? Just don't be surprised. But when it comes to monies and honeys, I ain't going out like that. And so I've pre-decided that I'm not going anywhere near that because I have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion. And I wouldn't be the first pastor that was taken out with this one. And so you flee. My question is, are you fleeing or flirting? I want you to start thinking about it this way. That girl at work... That's just a friend that gets you and thinks you're funny. She's a lion that wants to kill you. Dead. Tell her I said so. That picture, that picture that you just think is innocent. Oh, it's harmless activity. It is not. It is a tool in the hand of an enemy. And he is trying to devour you, kill, steal, and destroy. So what do you do? You flee. Now, let me ask you this question. If you were the enemy, how would you come after you? Because here's what you know. You know, don't you? You know. You know. That's where you need to fight. 
the place where you're most likely to fall is the place where you need to get in the game and fight because we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to devour us like a lion. Some of the ways he uses are the five that we've talked about. And so here's the answer to that. Again, it's not cowboy up. It's not try harder. It's not. The answer is not found in us. The answer is found in the man, the God man, that does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's why it ends this way. It says, and after you have suffered a little while. You know what this means, church? This is a fight. And in a fight, you get punched. Which means this, if you're not getting knocked around a little bit, if you're not getting punched, you might not be in the fight. If the enemy's not coming after you, I mean, I know this sounds mean, but I love you enough to be mean to you. He might not be your enemy. You might be on the same team with him. If you don't feel an incredible current of our culture pushing against you, it could be because you're just in the current. You're just in the current. But man, if you wake up every morning, you got that bloody nose because the enemy's punching you in the nose, congratulations. Welcome to the battle. It's only gonna be a minute. Compared to eternity with him, it's just gonna be a minute. And so, man, fight, fight, fight. He says, so after you've suffered a little while or fought a little while, then the God of all grace, the God of all grace, you know what this means? When you stand up, try to act like a man, and you fall on your face, you fall on grace. That's what you fall on. And you fall into the arms of a heavenly father that just picks you up again and sits you on your feet again and says, look, I got you on this wall. I want you on this wall. You got this, man. I believe in you. In Christ, you are the man and the God of all grace who has called you, you. So you think it's just talking to me or some other guy, the guy sitting next to you, the elders and the deacons. That's not true. He's talking to you. And he says, he's called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That Jesus himself will do for you what you can't do for you. Jesus himself will do in you what you've been trying to do on your own. And look at these four words he gives us. Here's what he will do in you if you'll let him. He will restore. He will restore. Have you fallen short in what it means to be a man? Are there people that have been in your wake, an ex or, or kids that you don't see, and you feel like there's a whole season of your life that you missed out on by your own doing? Well, I got great news. He is a restorer, and he can restore what the locusts have eaten that he himself will restore and confirm. God always confirms what he calls. And if he called you to be a man, he will confirm it. And the way he most often confirms it is not from some kind of majestic voice out of heaven. He often confirms it in the friendships, in the brotherhood of the people that he puts around you. You see, I don't know about you, but man, when I began to walk closely with some brothers and really open up and share my junk, here's what began to happen. They began to see in me things that I never saw in me. Coach Bull Lee, the guy that led me to the Lord, this whole thing was his idea. I told him, I, I can't talk in front of people. And he confirmed in me something that God had called me to do. So he'll restore and confirm and strengthen some of, you, some of you have been fighting the good fight and you're tired. I've got good news for you. The, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will strengthen those that wait upon the Lord. He will strengthen you. 
Hey, if you're tired, man, you just keep fighting the good fight. And you count on the strength of the Holy Spirit and he will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. You know what that means? When, if you've gotten knocked off that wall, if you've gotten knocked down, then, then when he restores you and he confirms you and he strengthens you, you know what he does? He establishes you back on that wall. Listen, men, you be a defender and a protector that God has called you to be. And you understand that the enemy is coming after you in at least five ways. But God, being rich in mercy, has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. So here's the point of the whole sermon. The rebellious person follows their own desires and ends up, despite some fun along the way, being devoured. That's the temptation of, of, the, of the fruit that we talked about last week. And the religious person, they follow their own rules and they end up, despite great effort, being devoured. That's the temptation of the fig leaf. But the gospel-centered person, the gospel-centered person follows Christ, the victor, and ends up, despite some hardship, in victory. Men, the reason that I can look at you in confidence and say, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your past, regardless of what has been taken from you, regardless of how many times the enemy has defeated you, if you are in Christ, then you are fighting from victory and not for victory. And so with that in mind, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself and cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And be sober-minded and, and watch out. I mean, watch out. Get in the game and be ready. I mean, be ready to flee, to flee these things that are trying to take you out because God, God has great things in store for you. And you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he may, at the right time, exalt you. So would you please stand up and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you are a good dad and you love your kids. And God, I thank you so much for the men of the church of 1122. And God, and for sure the women of the church of 1122. God, one of your greatest ideas ever. Lord, I pray. I pray that we would be watchful. I pray that we would you would establish us on that wall. I pray whether we're married or single, whether we've got kids or grandkids or no kids, God, whether it's teenagers or, or old guys, God, that we would be watchful and that we would act like men. God, that we would leverage whatever you have given us for your glory and in so doing for our joy. God, I pray against pride. God, I pray against laziness. God, I pray against isolation. And Lord, I pray against lust and sexual immorality and any other weapon that the enemy tries to form against us because we know that it cannot, it will not prosper. Because when Christ was on the cross, he says, it is finished, that we win. And so Lord, I pray that you would strengthen these men by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that starting now, the children and wives and co-workers and bosses and all of Jacksonville would be blessed because the men of this church would lead and love well. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
folks, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. We join our voices together and we sing. And a part of the reason we do that is because we humble ourselves before an almighty God. I dare you, man, to really humble yourself and really, I mean, really worship. Really worship. If you saw God for who he really is, you would not stand there like a statue in your manhood. You would lift your hands, you would bow your knee, and you would cry out to the only one that deserves our our worship. And we respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. Don't be anxious or worried. You see, the birds, God takes care of them, and you're more important than the birds. You bring back to him what is his. And then thirdly, we respond by casting all our cares upon him because he cares for you. And so men, right now, I'm gonna give you an opportunity, an opportunity to avoid the laziness and to get into the game and pursue your wife. Men, you bring your wife down here and you pray out loud over her. And if you're like, I don't know what to say, she cannot hear you, the music is too loud, all right? Just pray stuff over her head. However you need to respond, do so now.